Open up your word this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope this morning's word is insightful in a way that is helpful as we walk through life. The the issue for 1 Peter is never going to drift far in any given morning that we're talking from this epistle from the issues of suffering. And so we're, we're in that category in a major way this morning, and I've titled the message the, the Necessity of Suffering. It's not just something that happens. We actually need for it to happen. But let me, let me start off by putting us in touch with the effect that, that suffering can have in our lives. We live in a fallen world. It's not an easy place. If I just traffic through each of our lives, we could come up with seasons and stories, and some of us are in them right now, of great suffering. I was confronted this week with, on the same day, individuals whose lives had become so entangled in discouragement and despair that they ended up taking their own lives. I won't go into the details of one, but the other, other one was a, a public situation. It was in the news. It was in the subdivision adjacent to where Gina and I live. It was a couple. You may have read about it in the paper, heard in the news. Uh, he was a, a builder. She was a teacher in the Ormond subdivision. And something happened in their relationship. And he ended up shooting her, as best they can understand, and then shooting himself. And, you know, I, I looked at that and I looked at this other situation. I thought, you know, in this world you will have tribulation, right? But it's another thing when you become twisted up in that tribulation and you don't know which way is up and you can't make sense anymore about what's going on in your life. And you get to the place where you're willing to take another person's life and your own. Just that hopelessness that there's, there's no hope. There's nothing for me. I might as well just do something terribly tragic and end it all for me and someone else. Now listen, I know that's not where most of us will ever find ourselves. We're, we're on, the, on the scale of suffering and despair, we're, we're, we're up the scale a bit. But we're still dealing with managing, walking through this life, having hope. And the verses that Peter looked at last week helped with that. We're trying to manage having some hope. I mean, I want to throw two things out here today that I think are mistakes that Christians make. As we get into this message, and maybe you're in one of these categories, mistakes that Christians make that are going to thrust you kind of on the rocks of despair in your life. Now, here would be my two. There's probably a lot more. These two came to mind. One would be valuing a trial-free life. That's a mistake. If you're a Christian and you have grown to value a life that's free from trials, now listen, this is natural. Isn't this how we live our lives? You're standing in line and there's a chair open. Are you going to sit down or are you going to stand? You're outside in the sun and there's shade within 10 feet. You're going to go in the shade, you're going to stand in the heat. Or better yet, there's air conditioning. You're going to go in the air conditioning or are you going to stay outside and sweat? 
We, we are built to avoid discomfort. It is the fabric of our lives. And that philosophy will begin to creep into so much of who we are and what we're experiencing in life that we value this trial-free life. So whenever trials come and they set us back and they do what trials do like we're going to see today, they kind of turn up the heat and they make things difficult for us, we can almost start thinking something's wrong. Uh, there must be something wrong here, as though God is like an American who's just fastly running around inventing new things to escape all the discomforts of life, new gadgets, new comforts. We might be shocked today when we find out that God's into discomfort. It's actually an okay thing. And for us to value a trial-free life is a mistake. It means that we will be resisting much of what God is doing in our lives on a regular basis. Here would be the other mistake. Believing in heaven on earth. That really sounds like a party pooper, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, I know. Doesn't it sound better if I could just stand up here and just pump sunshine up your skirt and tell you, you can have heaven on earth, brother. I mean, that preaches in some churches. But can I tell you that when I read my Bible, I am absolutely certain of this. Heaven is heaven and earth is is earth. <laughs> All right? Those are two different places in my Bible. But there is, and then we'll look at this. We'll get a little help theologically today. There's a taste of heaven for the people of God. And then, listen, there's some bad theology out there. And, and, and some of us have run across it and tried to digest it. You know, the kingdom of God is now, right? Yes, absolutely Right? But heaven is heaven, and earth is earth, and the kingdom of God is still now, if you understand those things correctly. If you understand them incorrectly, then you're running around chronically being thrown on the rocks of despair because you can't figure out why you can't get everything about heaven to exist in your earthly life. And a lot of your Christianity is battling with God to try and get that to be the case. And it's discouraging, right? So those are two mistakes that I think these passages will help us with as well as many others. First Peter chapter 1, Let me just, I have to start in verse 3, but we're going to focus on verse 6 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? This is the presence of hope in the Bible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with 
with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord, thank you for your living, active word. Lord, find each of us today with this word. Lord, may it penetrate the daily places of our lives. May it bring us the hope that it was intended to bring to us as we seek to live for your glory on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's see if we can do this with this verse. I've just highlighted some words in your, in your outline here. And so we'll, we're going to kind of Google Earth in and we're going to Google Earth back out. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when I say Google Earth? Good. How many of you guys have never Google Earthed? Well, you can admit it. It's okay. I'm not real technologically savvy. Right, remember, Google Earth is this amazing uh, software that allows you to sort of start out in outer space with this little blue dot of a planet and zero in to your rooftop. Right? You ever zero in on your neighborhood? Right? You can just zero right in on top of your house and see your address. All right, well, what I want to do here is let's, let's start at our address. This is, this is our experience, and then we're going to kind of Google out from that and get some perspective on our experience. But in this passage, the thing that we most get in touch with the quickest and probably the most effectively on us is this. In this, verse 6, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved. Listen, when your life takes on strong feelings that cause something like grief, it's as though the rest of the universe can go away. This is what I'm in touch with. This is what is most real to me. This is what's most affecting me. Something's taking place that is producing in me the feelings of heaviness and disappointment and grief. That, that word there, it means to be afflicted with sorrow, grief, or sadness. It comes from a family of words, this Greek word, lepeo. Both physical pain and mental anguish are covered by the words, that whole family of words. Physically, the pain is especially that caused by hunger, thirst, heat, cold, or sickness. In some ways, that would be the experience of many that were in Scripture. There would be that dynamic. They would be experiencing some of those things, hunger and thirst, heat, cold, or sickness. While mentally, it is especially the anguish of misfortune, death, annoyance, insult, or outrage. Right? That's what this word is saying. There's a, there's a point in our lives where we find ourselves, what's most real to us is the anguish of soul. That desperate feeling, the sadness, the suffering component that comes from things like misfortune, something unexpected and unfortunate has occurred, or a death has happened. Even though we know death is part of this human existence, when it, when it gets close enough to us, it deeply, deeply affects us. Wayne Grudem says the verb, lepeo, always refers to the emotion of grief. Now, I'll put this in your outline just to get in touch with the realities that when we bump into life, there's this dimension to us that is emotional. It's that feeling aspect of who we are. It's not all that we are, but it's a force to be reckoned with. It's good that you know something about how you and your feelings get along with each other. 
There is something to be said, I think. You know, there's thoughts in your life. That's part of who you are, the way you think, your belief system. But there's feelings in your life. And I I have to say this because I think it's true. I don't know if my stats are even close to being accurate. But when feelings compete with thoughts, feelings win nine out of ten times. Right, even for those of us who manage to, to eventually get thoughts to win, the first few rounds, feelings beat the daylights out of us. We're, we're attracted to feelings. We want to feel stuff. I mean, not only do we want to feel euphoric, we want to feel amazed, we want to feel pleasantness, but you know the old saying, misery loves company? Right? Some people love misery. It's a feeling, and it's a feeling. So I just like to feel something, so I I feel miserable. And I just let everybody know about it chronically. I invite everybody into my misery, misery major. I love feelings. We're attracted to feelings in a way that we're not attracted to thought and belief. And how many of us just here today, we woke up with the ambition of, of, I just want to think right today. We don't necessarily want to think right. We want to feel something today, don't we? We are more attracted to feeling good than we are to thinking good or believing good. I want to feel good. Now, I'm not going to go into this, but it would be good to to analyze the mechanisms of how God's made us because you you sort of can't really aim at feelings as much as you can aim at thoughts and beliefs. So that's why the Bible directs our thoughts and our beliefs so much because feelings go where thoughts and beliefs have already been. So you sort of, if you want certain feelings, you, you have to believe certain things. You're going to have to think a certain way. And quite often our emotions are following bad thinking. But I, I just want to make this point today from this passage. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard by your having to face this word for grief, lepeo, this anguish of soul. Don't be surprised. Right, in just a couple of chapters, Peter's going to come back and say that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you to test you. Now remember, from this passage we learn, when those trials come to test you, they're going to feel like grief and anguish. Okay, so that's when you know I'm being pressed by these trials. The heat is on because I'm in touch with anguish and grief, right? When you back away from your situation, you get informed, but most of us don't back away. We're living in the moment of our grief and our anguish, so that's what we're in touch with. Listen, do not be taken off guard. That day is normal, and it is coming. Have a plan in place for it. One of the things that becomes the hardest thing for a Christian is when either because they were thinking heaven on earth or they were somehow thinking that a pleasant life without difficulty was really what God's all about and what I should be about, that when trial comes, you can get knocked over by it. We should not be surprised. Please, can I just just start us with a plan by saying this, be prepared. This verse is not saying in the rare exception possibly maybe for some of you. It's highlighting the fact that for everybody, we're going to experience right now being grieved by 
various trials, whether that comes through misfortune, suddenly things change. Right? How many of us, if you don't realize this is in the Bible and it's for you, you come up with different reasons to figure out why it is that something's tanked in your life? Start shopping for things, start shopping for cause and effect, blaming something, blaming somebody else, blaming ourselves. And listen, there might be some blame to go around. There might be some responsibility here. And it may also be God's strategic purpose for exactly what you're experiencing because he actually wanted you to experience that. Death is a hard thing to bump into. You cannot be caught off guard by it. The the people around you are going to die. You may die before them. Or you may interact with their death in your life. And you will be grieved. Listen, let me make sure you hear what I'm not saying. This verse is not saying that grieving is wrong. Or that the anguish of soul, how dare you, Christian, experience anguish of soul. No, it's saying right now for a little while, you are going to taste this. And it's normal. It's trying to help us not move from anguish of soul into despair and hopelessness. It's trying to rescue us from the wrong step after that and to keep us with hope. All right, let's, let's back out a little bit. We are in touch with the realities of uh, anguish, grief. Well, what's the immediate cause of that? Well, something's touched our lives. Some event's gone on, and, and this passage labels it a trial. So if we, we back out to layer one here, we've, we've kind of zoomed out of your address, and now we're sort of in the neighborhood. And something's touching your world. And you're looking at life, and you're saying, okay, I'm grieved, I'm anguished, I'm disappointed, I'm struggling, I, I'm, I'm in disbelief right now. Why? Now, if I asked you that, you'd put your hands on your trial, wouldn't you? When you come in for counseling, do you come in to discuss the deep theology that's on top of trials? Right, we're going to go there next. But that's not why people come in. They come in with notes taken on the trial. I can tell you everything about the trial, when it began, who's involved, what I've tried to do, what hasn't worked, why they're doing this, how long is this going to go on. I, I got notes on the trial. So I'm in layer number one here in looking at the situation as I back out. Well, Peter uses this terminology. Of, of trial numerous times. Verse, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. All right, so that's good news. Right, there's trials that are acknowledged by God, and there's also a rescue plan from God as well. All right, well, what is a trial? Well, I think to be fair, you'd have to say, what's a trial for these guys that we're reading about, and what's a trial for us? Because I don't think they're the same. I think that's just a reality, right? This is what a trial for them sounded like. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 10, quick little passage here, written about the same time as First Peter. The writer in verse 30, 32 says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened... You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Right? Remember the first century. Christianity is just getting off the ground. It's the oddball religion. It's a cult. And those who participated in it were strange. I mean, even to the religious people, you've got to understand, for a Jew to come in contact with the, the carpenter from Nazareth to be worshipped as God, you know, this just turns Judaism upside down in their minds. You're a cornflake if you believe that. And so then you had the Romans and their antagonism towards Christianity. Then you had false claims where Christians were stirring up problems in cities, causing riots and difficulties. So, you know, the Romans just wanted to secure rest. And so if they thought Christianity is the reason for that, then the oppression began to take place. Property was seized. People were put out of homes. They were killed. So this is what the Bible is referring to for them in the realm of suffering trials. That's not our situation, is it? But is it fair to only take that and impose it upon us and say, hey, suck it up, you bunch of wimps. This is the last time y'all were shot by an arrow through your leg because you were a Christian, huh? And y'all have to take a sword fight and escape for your life? Your house been burned down lately? Come on. All right, okay, I could, I could approach that that way. But here's the reality about suffering. Suffering just means adjusting your reality in a way that you're not prepared for. It means messing with your world based on whatever it is that your world is. Right, how many of you know if your electricity goes out in your home, you're venturing into the realm of suffering? Right? Especially if it's August. Right, everybody remember Katrina? Remember your... Refrigerators and what you came home to? <laughs> uh, if that ain't suffering, I don't know what is. I cleaned out a bunch of refrigerators, man. That was disgusting. Uh, if we didn't have running water, right, that would be, that'd be suffering for us. I mean, listen, you just lose power, have the water be cut off. Some of you guys in Orleans Parish know a little bit about that. You know, water gets cut off. It's like, oh. <gasps> If you don't have a personal vehicle, you've got to use public transportation. Right? We're, we're talking suffering for some. Now, listen, people in a third world country would scratch their heads at us and wonder, what on earth are you babies yan yan about now? Uh, but the reality is they've gotten used to living life that way. They don't make that more heroic than it is. They haven't known any different. And you've gotten used to living life this way, and all of a sudden there's an adjustment here. So whatever's normal to you can explain a little bit about what is going to be suffering for you. What's going to be a trial for you in your life, right? Uh, here's a factor that might dictate how much of a trial you're experiencing. The level of your desires or ambitions in a particular area of your life, right? You got no desires for this thing over here, and it never happens. Is that a trial? you got huge desires for this. You've dreamed about it, planned for it, aimed at it most of your life, and it doesn't happen. Is that a trial? Yes, it is. That's a real trial. It tests your faith, your maturity level. 
will explain some things about trials, whether it's spiritual maturity, physical maturity. All right, what are the things that your children cry about? Your little ones. Right, I mean, hey, mine can fall apart upon the news that we're, we're not going to McDonald's. <laughs> the other night we just had the little ones, and so I dropped Jean off. She did one errand, and I, I took the other ones, and a debate ensued about whether we were going to McDonald's or to Sonic, followed by tears and suffering with a decision that was made. Right? I mean, there's a reason why that famous parenting phrase, do you want me to give you something to cry about, is in existence. <laughs> See, because you're mature. You've lived long enough to know that's not worth crying about. That's not suffering. But for them it is. I don't, I don't use that. I don't think I use that phrase. I don't really use that, that phrase. I have another set of sarcastic phrases that I use. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to use some of them. If, if crying breaks out from one of the little ones over something like that, we, you know, stop, stop. This is not a crying issue. We will not cry over that. We cry over the dog is dead. We cry over mom and dad are moving to Iowa. We cry over... The house is burned down with everything in it. But we do not cry over whether we're going to McDonald's or not. See, I'm just trying to help categories of suffering to be explained more clearly in their lives. But, but so trial and suffering, it, it, it has a degree of what's relevant to you in it. And that, I think that's realistic for our lives. So, all right, question for you here. And you can write this down if you've got some space there. For you at this point in your life, what's, what's a trial for you? At this point in your life, an issue, an area, relationship, category, need, presses on you. It, it begins to move you towards that anguish of soul in your life. Right, be in touch with that for a moment as we look through this a little bit further. All right, so here's, here's our layer one analysis. But this is often where we stop our investigation. I'm experiencing grief. I'm in touch with that Bible passage. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm under this anguish of soul for whatever the reasons are that are in your life. Listen, and they can be reasons that you might think are silly or serious. They can be reasons that somebody else wouldn't even begin to go there, but you do. So be in touch with that because when the heat gets turned on in that category, you're, you're going to start feeling that anguish of soul, that, that temptation to be discouraged and to lose hope and despair. And immediately what you're going to do is you're going to do a layer one analysis. You're going to look at your life and you're going to say, what's causing this? What's touching me? What are the circumstances in my life that's causing this to happen? It could be your health that you'll look at immediately and say, it could be your, your finances, which are connected to changes with the job that happened when the economy went down and, and you lost that job, everybody took a pay cut. Right, that's the immediate circumstance that's causing this grief and this anguish of what does the future hold. It could be a season of your life, a uh, season of struggle in your marriage. And so yet again, here I'm visiting the, the struggle, the uncertainties, whether this marriage is going to work out or not. And, and I, am, I am experiencing grief trial, right? All right? But we need to back away a little bit further. So let's zoom out a little bit more on our Google Earth device here and find out 
What is God saying here? We're going to zoom out to the God level. Look in verse 6. Sorry about that. Look in verse 6 again. In this you rejoice in this, what is this? It is this great salvation that's being kept in heaven for us, that's made available to us because of the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you should be grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Skip to verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me just pick some words out of this that will help us in these moments. Look in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, For a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Remember that we've already been let in on the fact that God knows how to rescue his own from trials. So we know that there's there's a God who's managing this thing. It's not out of control. It's not chance. It's not just circumstances that have broken out that that no one knows about. And who knows when this thing's going to end? And who's in charge of this ride? There's a God who knows how to rescue his own from trials. And he's saying right here, even though for a little while this is necessary, for a little while. Uh, listen, if you just did a, a, a kind of a enlarging your life a little bit, right? I'm, I'm 46 years old, and I can remember back to seasons and moments where, where I was in a trial, in a season. Right? That last year, um, two, almost three months of not sleeping at night after knee surgery. I, I thought there were moments in about month number two. I mean, literally, I don't know how many days I went without sleep. Slept two hours every couple of days. I thought, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. I thought I should lose my mind. I, I, you know, I'm thinking, just talking to myself, which is probably helpful, but uh, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. I should lose my mind. Anybody who hasn't slept this little, you should lose my mind, right, Randy? You know what I'm talking about? I just lose my mind. That season, while I'm in it, is like standing at the bottom of Mount Everest looking at something that is sorry, overwhelming, huge, immovable. That's my whole life, this, this moment. I mean, you can look back and I mean, you have seasons in your life. If I, if I look back to the, the season of, of, of being in college, there was a season, just real loneliness. Going through college, some of my friends were growing getting beyond college, they were getting married, they were going on with life, and here I am just going through the, the routines of study and being isolated and not being around people a lot of time. Uh, that, that was an overwhelming emotional time. I can remember back looking at that. I remember back through the season of being in my mid-20s and being single and wondering, am, am I going to be married? Is there marriage in the future? Am, am I going to have a wife? Am I going to have companionship in my life? And that season seemed huge, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? All right, when I'm 46 years old now, so, you know, out of those couple of year periods, I've backed away and I'm looking at all of my life now, and it doesn't seem as big now. When I look back at those situations now, with a bigger perspective, it seems like for a little while. That was a little while. 
Right Now, when you're in it, it doesn't feel like a little while, does it? It feels like this is never going to end, and it's huge. All right, can we back away a little bit further? I mean, when we, when we just zoomed out to 46 years here, all we did was maybe take a picture of southeast Louisiana. What happens when we back away and then the USA gets smaller and the whole planet gets really, really small, and my address, you, you can't even see it anymore. Mount Everest is no longer noticeable from that distance. See, at this moment, I'm standing in eternity. And the eternal things that matter the most have made these things momentary and light. Almost I can't even find them anymore. Right? See, this is, this is the perspective. So we, we need to get this perspective, right? Because when we're in it in the moment, it feels huge. It feels like a mountain that can never be overcome in our lives. So God's helping us with a perspective just for a little while, these trials, okay? Then he says this, though. If necessary, so that. All right, now I'm breaking into the purpose. Now I'm getting behind the scenes here. All right, so we're just not dealing with what's going on at my address. Now I'm backed away. There's trials. That's what's going on. They're pressing on my life. And I've backed away further, and I've discovered a God who is managing the trials. And he's saying this about them. If necessary, so that. So now I discover the mind of God is at work in this trial that's producing this grief in my life. The mind of God's at work. There's strategy going on. There's purpose going on. It's not just that you and I live on a fallen planet, and it's hard. It's rough to live on a fallen planet. There's going to be issues in life. That's true, but there's more at work here. You and I are not just living in something that's kind of just spinning out of control. Right in your outline there, one of those notes says, trials are the process or the method God uses to accomplish an ultimate goal. Trials is a process or a method that God uses in our lives to accomplish an ultimate goal. You know God has an ultimate goal for your life. Listen, if I, if I just bumped into somebody on the street and said, what's the purpose for your life? What's the ultimate purpose for your life? You'd get everything from salesman to athlete to mom to this to that, blah, blah, blah. You know, when I read this Bible, this Bible is up to something. It has an ultimate goal in mind for man. It's not to improve your speed in the 40, although that's great if you can. It's not to make you pass the entrance exam to get into law school or medical school, although, hey, great, that's part of what God's doing in this temporary exile world that you're in. But the ultimate goal of what God is about in relation to man is that word in this passage called salvation. The thing that matters the most that God is doing in this passage is saving us for eternity. Look here in Verse 9, here's, here's, here's what we obtain at the end, at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what God's ultimately doing in our lives. So when God is dealing with faith, he has that in mind. He wants at the end for us to have a faith that's going to save us. That's what most, is most important. Right When we back into those passages that Peter did last week. Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3. 
our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, right, we're born again to something, a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? So for those who are reading this passage, this salvation has come to them, but it's not fully revealed yet. It's awaiting another day, and Peter is always pointing to that, like it matters to us, that this is not all your faith is about. As a matter of fact, this is not as important as something else that your faith is about. Your faith is not just about how to live daily, although we need it for daily life. Your faith ultimately is about that salvation that's yet to be revealed. The salvation that takes us into eternity. When we zoom away from this planet and it gets so small that I don't know, if, except for the grace of God, we remember it at all. And it will be faith in the grace of God that takes us there. That ultimately is the purpose for your faith. And therefore, trials are related to that. I think I put this note in your outline. When we lose sight of the value of this ultimate goal, we put too much importance on being sustained by temporary goals. We can get out of touch with this, right? This is like planning for retirement. Oh, that's so far away. You know, and I've got stuff going on right now. And so the stuff going on right now becomes very important and very critical to us. And so we have personal goals and financial issues that we're trying to save for and plan for. There's getting married. There's, there's fitting in with people. And all these things become critical to us, so critical that it messes our world up if we can't have those things. But God's doing something much bigger than that. Now listen, God's into those things. Those things matter in this temporary existence. But you and I cannot lose sight of what ultimately matters because if you, if you push that aside, then this is all we've got. And whether or not you're, you're married or not, it's the only thing you've got now, right? Whether or not your finances are a certain way and you can afford certain things and you can go on that vacation, own that house, retire at this age, if you lose sight of what ultimately matters, this is all you've got comes a weight that you carry in your life. Now, when trials come visit that, they're a different, they're a different animal. Because you could feel like they're taking life from you in that moment. Listen, we, we have a date with destiny. Everybody here has a date with destiny. It is appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. There is no bigger day. Hey, celebrate your birthday all you want. Celebrate your anniversary, but anticipate this day. Because it is a day on everybody's calendar. We will stand before the righteous judge of the universe, and he will set eternity in motion in that moment. Matter of fact, it's already set in motion. But we will enter into his judgment. Are, are you preparing for that day? Listen, I know we prepare for a lot. You know, I'm trying to prepare. I've got a daughter graduating high school. I'm trying to prepare her for college and what she'll pursue. And 
and we prepare ourselves for careers, and we prepare ourselves for motherhood, we prepare ourselves to retire, we prepare ourselves if the economy goes south, we prepare ourselves for Y2K and global warming. Hey, listen, there ain't nothing more important than preparing for that day. Because ultimately, that's the appointment with destiny that every one of us has. Thus, our faith on that day, listen, not just our faith today, our faith on that day matters immensely. Now, let me tell you where this verse is going. This verse is going into the reality that what trials are about, they're about that day. Trials are necessary for our faith to be with us on that day. Right? Let's, let's see how... That pans out here. James chapter 1. I'm going to race through a few verses here and get a good look at this. Turn back one book. James chapter 1. I'll just read these passages. We won't dig into them too much, but they're pretty obvious how they connect with what we're talking about. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Or most, many of your Bibles say endurance. Right? So trials do something to our faith that produces endurance, which is a valuable thing. Romans chapter 5. Turn there real quick. Romans chapter 5. Look in verse 3. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing, all right, if you want to just camp out on a word right there, how is it possible that any of us could rejoice in our sufferings? How could we have joy in trials? Well, we can, and I hope we will after today, when we see how the Bible's perspective on them works the effect that trial is having on my faith in light of that day. Right? That's what this verse is teaching as well. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Turn over to... Two chapters there, three chapters to Romans chapter 8. I want you to hear in all these passages, this is not just the Bible acknowledging suffering. It's not just letting us know that suffering is part of life. It's, it's taking us behind the scenes in suffering. It's taking us into the realm of God and what God is doing in suffering. And so this is not... This is not the headline when you bump into suffering. You, you bump into suffering, you experience grief, and you're going to have to think in that moment to get to these things. But listen to how the Bible helps us see suffering. Verse 18 of Romans 8. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Okay, don't anybody get crazy theology here. The devil didn't subject the world to futility. Futility. Does that sound like a pleasant word? It's not a pleasant word, is it? To bump into something that feels futile over and over and over again, that's not very exciting sounding. So immediately our, our temptation is to throw the credit to the devil. The devil must have done that. No, there's a God involved. It's him who's done this, and he did it in hope. So something negative has just been thrust upon us for the purpose of hope in our lives. Verse 21, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You don't have heaven on earth. You have the first fruits of heaven on earth. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right, here's the temptation. We lose sight of what ultimately matters, our ultimate salvation. When we will see him, we will behold him, we will be like him, and we will be transformed. We will put on immortality, and these bodies will be no more, and this earthly realm will be no more. That, that day is coming. Now, when we lose sight of that, all we got left is the health of this body, the comforts we can create here, heaven on earth. That's all we got left. And so when things touch our heaven on earth, it's very hard to have hope in that moment. It's very hard to see the goodness of that because it's reckoned the thing that we put our hope in. Um, you know, there's, there's a... There's a reality about death, and there's a reality about these, these bodies that we live in. You know, there's a health fitness, there's workouts, there's eating and diet approaches. You know, this verse needs to inform those dynamics. Because if it's your intention to do everything in your power to create this as your permanent address, you're wasting your time. This is not your permanent address. This body is going. It's going to die. It's going to die from something. There will be a primary cause, unless you're Enoch and you just take in with God. Um, I don't know anybody else, but... You're going to die from something. And, and listen, that's, that's okay. You know what God does in this realm is, is he touches every, everything. He touches everything with this thing called futility. You know what that rescues us from? Ever making that thing our ultimate meaning in this world. Your marriage is touched with futility. Your money is touched with futility. 
no matter how much you get, listen, no matter how much attention you get from your spouse, trust me, it'll never be enough. You'll want something more. There'll still be a vacuum of a need that didn't get met. No matter how much money you got, it won't be enough. You'll need something else. Everything is touched with futility. Listen, it's not until we put our feet down on the shores of heaven that we will take one big giant breath and know we have finally arrived. This was what I was created for. Unhindered fellowship with the living God. Drinking in God without the effects of sin in this limited brain and body of mine. Until that day, God is seeking to make sure that you and I don't ever seek to make this our permanent address. So he has touched this world with futility. To pry our hands off of that. And to put our trust and our hope in God. Listen. Um, this issue touches how we, how we deal with death. I was reminded recently I had a lady come for counseling meeting. She doesn't go to church here. She's a Christian. She'd been praying for quite some time and wrestling and praying and believing for her brother who had cancer, that he would not die. And he died. And it rocked her. And she was left with a bunch of questions about God and about prayer and, you know, what, what do I do? How do I go on with my walk with God, with influencing others? And listen, I could, I could remember what vividly came back to my mind I'm not going to go there because I won't survive. Um, it was a similar season we walked through as a church where a woman in her mid-40s had cancer, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and she died. And it knocked a bunch of people over. There was a bunch of people in the church filled with questions and uncertainty about God, about prayer, about faith. So when, when, we, when we come to these verses and we pray, I remember I, I, think I did a message after that about praying for the now while hoping in the not yet. We, we are to pray for situations. We are to bring the push and the light of the kingdom of God into this world. This world should feel the nudge of the coming kingdom entering into existence right now. But our hope is not in us making this thing work for eternity. God's not going to make this thing work for eternity. God's going to make that one work for eternity. And we are elect exiles, remember? This is not our home. We pray for the now. We pray for healing. We pray for God to intrude and change the course of natural events. But we hope in the not yet. And that's what Peter's doing in this verse. He's, he's saying, look at the whole scheme of things here. When someone dies, they didn't fall out of my plan. It was my plan for them to die. And to enter into that which is forever. And you and I have to have that component in our lives. We have to be ready for that. We cannot be knocked over. 
Edmund Clowney says, the salvation of our souls in the last day is the goal of our faith. We wait for the salvation that Christ will bring with him at his appearing. Yet we are already experiencing that salvation, right? The kingdom has come. This apparent paradox forms the warp and woof of the New Testament hope. Because Jesus has already come in the flesh and the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has already come. Our hope is realized. We know Jesus. But because Jesus is coming again, the kingdom of God is yet to come. And the goal of our faith is still future. Don't pile all of our eggs in this basket We spend all of our faith making this world something that we call ultimate. This is not our ultimate stop. The temporary stop on our way to our ultimate place. But how important is this? The salvation of our souls in the last day is the goal of our faith. Can I say that again? Because this is the key for this verse. The salvation of our souls in the last day is the goal of our faith. In that last day, well, what's God doing? Go back to 1 Peter. Let me just give this last word here. This word tested. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and it is necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? We're talking at the end here. We're talking when we obtain the outcome of our faith. See, there's an outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. How how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to that day? From present faith to faith on that day. Well, that's this, this word testing. It's this strategic process of God where God takes faith and he tests it. Now look at the way that word is used. The the Greek word there means tested and thus reliable and esteemed or valuable. That's what that word means in the Greek. It's, It's used in the Greek Old Testament this way. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. So what God's doing is he is refining, he is refining faith, testing it, right? Help from Wayne Grudem here. He says, Peter deliberately employs this analogy to say that situations of testing are occasions when God refines and purifies the faith of his people as precious metal is refined in a fire. The trials burn away any impurities in the believer's faith. What is left when the trials have ended is purified, genuine faith, analogous to the purer gold or silver that emerges from the refiner's fire. What's happening when trials come? Okay, you and I, we're in a moment of grief. We back away. We say it's this trial. If you back away further, you're going to meet the master smelter, the refiner of God who has ordained for there to be circumstances in our lives that are going to come to us like heat. And the faith that began in us, a faith that that needs to be purified so that it will make it to the end, the heat gets turned up and impurities get burned off. And the heat gets turned up again on another occasion and a little bit more heat gets added 
The oxygen gets blown in and it gets hotter and hotter and some new impurities are discovered and they get burned off and removed. And then a little bit further down the road and God again moves into our life. Now listen, for us, what we're in touch with is not heat but anguish, grief. That's the feeling that we have from the fire. But it's not, it's not the trial in and of itself. It's the master refiner who's at work doing something to your faith so that ultimately it will stand on that day. It's not going to fail. It's going to work when you need it the most on the day of standing before God. Listen, I'm putting your outline there, a couple of passages. These, these should mess you up. But most of them are from Hebrews, so if you'll go to the Hebrews class, Peter will fix everything that I mess up in this next few moments. We are refined for endurance, that it may be reliable and valuable on that day. Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Hebrews 3, 14. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Your faith just can't show up right now. It's going to need to be there on that day. Hebrews 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance. All right, can you remember where we started just a few moments ago? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, same word, refining of your faith produces endurance. And you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, right? The outcome of your faith. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Right? This is the appearing of Jesus Christ, as First Peter talks about. For my, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are. That's who the people of God are. They're the ones whose faith is going to make it to the end and who are going to stand before God on that day and God is going to find faith in their life, trusting in him and hoping in him. How is that going to happen? Can you go back to 1 Peter now? Verse 4, we've been born again to hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, listen, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even though you feel grieved as you experience the heat of the trials that are necessary for your faith to endure to the end by the power of God. Listen, how do you and I know that we're going to make it in the end? Because you got big faith or because the power of God is at work to make sure your faith is going to be there in the end? Right, now listen, theologically, we're all cool with that, right? God is faithful God is at work and God is powerful, so our faith is going to be a viable faith on that day. That's security. We know that. 
what we disengage that from is the day-to-day life that we're living. How does God make our faith to endure to the end? He turns heat up on it. And he burns off impurities and idolatrous substitutes and the futile things of this world that we're tempted to put our hope in. And God heats them up and those things burn up. But I love this quote from Edmund Clowney. Matt, go ahead and come up. He says, our faith then must continue to the end of our lifelong pilgrimage. If our faith is to endure, it must be purified and stress-tested. Like gold, it must pass through the furnace. Trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Did you Google Earth far enough away to see God's at work? The trial that that feels like anguish and grief is really under the refining hand of God. It's something that God's using for good. Do not be surprised, brothers, when you encounter various trials as though something strange has come upon you. It's not strange. It's God at work. It's the refiner working in your faith. Rather, Clowney says, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. Listen to this. This is good news. Take some comfort here. The fires of affliction will not reduce our faith to ashes. Fire does not destroy gold. It only removes combustible impurities. All right, can we do this? Everybody join me in my Google Earth experience. All right, we started with grief. Lepeo, anguish of soul. And we backed away when we discovered that trials cause grief in our lives. We backed away from that, and the earth got small, and eternity came into view, and we discovered that God was behind the trials that were creating the anguish and the heat in our souls because ultimately God is intent that he is going to save us, and our faith is going to endure. Now, question, because my natural tendency, probably like yours, is to make the mistake I mentioned first. I would like a trial-free life. If I could tell you, look, on on your way out today at the Welcome Center, please pick up your trial-free life. (laughs) You know, there would be a stampede. We would hurt one another getting there. But what if ultimately... I want to stand on that day at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to enter into eternity with God forever. What if that's my ultimate prize in life? And God's means of me ever getting to that day is making sure my faith doesn't fail that my faith makes it to that day, that the impurities and the things that would lead me astray get cooked out 
and burned up. How many of us then would turn around and say, God, don't turn the heat down, God, because I want to get there. I'm not just about here. God, I know you're messing with my life, and this category is being touched by you, and that one's being touched as well. But I'm ultimately, I'm not about those things. I'm about that. My hope is there. And so if you turn the heat up right here, God, I can live with that because I know what you're doing to me. According to your word, it doesn't feel this way sometimes, but according to your word, you're refining a faith in me that will work and endure all the way to the end so that I will be in your hands, safe for eternity with you. That's what you're doing. All right, now, can we zoom back in? Because most of us are most in touch with what's happening at our address. We forgot all that big Google Earth stuff. We forgot about that, didn't we? We didn't know all that was going on. We just temporarily went insane. And all I'm in touch with is I feel terrible about this season of my life. All right, let's stand up. You're zoomed in on your address now. Lord, what has been most pronounced, most loud in our lives has been the effect of trials. It's been the anguish of soul. It's been the sense of grief. It's it's been the, the sudden thrusting of suffering and sadness into our world through situations of misfortune or, or death or health. And God, when we look, it feels like this is never going to end. It looks enormous. Lord, thank you. Right now, we bring your perspective to this moment. Lord, we begin to zoom out a little bit from what we've been staring at. and Lord, we hear your word that just says, for a little while, for a little while. This is just for a little while. So some of you need to tell yourself that right now. Look at your circumstance. Look at your address of grief. And tell yourself that. This is just for a little while. In the scope of my life, even here upon this earth, this is just for a little while. In light of eternity, it's momentary, a vapor. Maybe some of you here have been going through the grief of a trial, and all you've seen is the trial as far back as you have backed out on this and, and there's people involved and you're struggling to forgive them and to relate to them. There's needs that you're experiencing. All you see is financial difficulty. You're not going to make it. There's not enough provision. There's not enough time. Or your health. All you see is your health. Your health. It's not changing. Zoom out a little bit further before you ask God to give you a trial-free life and to get rid of all these things. Bring this truth to bear that God is testing, refining your faith so that in the end it will be proven 
of great value, so valuable that it'll save you on that day. God is at work, for there will be none saved on that day who do not have faith. And God is at work that your faith would be sustained, that it would endure. God, I pray as we walk through these circumstances, Lord, I pray for grace to draw near to you, to cling to you. Your hand is good. Your hand is ultimate. Lord, you are passionate to save us. And Lord, thank you like a wise parent. You don't back off of things that are ultimately good for us because we have a moment of kicking and screaming. You are too wise and you love us too much. So Lord, the heat will come. And God, help us to have this perspective that we would welcome the heat. close with this thought. Just just think with me for a moment, reading a biography about Hudson Taylor. He was a great missionary to China, started a movement of missions work in China. Went through a season in his life after he had been there a short time where his seven-year-old daughter died. Shortly after that, a massive riot broke out in Yangchow, the city where he was ministering. The riot had somewhat to do with the presence of the gospel in that place. And so people began to turn on them. And the headway they were making was suddenly thrust backwards. Not only that, way back in England where the support was coming for the mission news about this riot caused by these missionaries was finding its way back and support began to diminish and he went through a season of great trials in his life and he struggled to rejoice in the midst of those trials but when he could get his wits about him he said this he said it doesn't matter really how great the pressure is It only matters where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. Then the greater the pressure, the more it presses you to his breast. Listen, this is what God's doing at work in your life. It's so that your faith will cling to him and him alone and nothing else. So if the heat is turned up, let it be that which thrusts you toward God in trust and independence upon him. Amen. Suffering is necessary. Amen. Amen. I bless you guys.